If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Again, we're going to look at the entirety of the chapter this week. Um, last week, you'll remember that we looked at the three figures in Jesus' parable of John chapter 10. And our conclusion was that it takes humility to see yourself as a sheep. And what hinders us is actually pride. Pride is what hinders us uh, from confessing our need to be shepherded. Um, at its heart, the parable really served and still does serve as an identity marker. It forces its listeners then and today to realize who they really are in relationship to God. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. That's what we confess if we have read the parable correctly. And what Jesus is doing with this parable is that he's showing an allegory to what was actually happening at the present in Jesus' day as the Jews and the disciples were kind of gathering around him. The sheep in that analogy are those who follow Jesus. We said that last week. And Jesus is the one gathering them, his sheep, into his fold. And in that text we see that he promised eternal life, but he makes it clear that this will not come without a price. He says that the wolf is going to come. The thieves and robbers who profess to watch over the sheep, uh, they're going to scatter. They're going to run. And these are the false teachers, these people that are trying to lead people away from Jesus. And these people are also the people that eventually killed Jesus. That's why he says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So this parable is really the parable of the life of Jesus and how God sent his son to save his people from their sins. The parable is just a gospel message put in parable form. And what we'll find this week as we finish out the chapter uh, is there's two responses to this parable. As Jesus tells the Jews and those who are listening on, the, the Jews and their response to this parable, they're going to pick up stones to kill him. And the other response, as we'll see at the end of this chapter, is many believed in him. But there's really only two responses to the gospel. And what I'm going to show you through this text is that these two responses represent two kinds of people responding to just one thing. And that one thing is God's sovereign grace to save sinners. When people hear that, there are only really two responses. So I've titled my sermon this morning, The Security of the Believer and the Insecurity of the Unbeliever. And we're going to look at those two things in a minute after we read our texts. So again, the text is John chapter 10, 1 through 42. A lot of verses, but these are the words of God. So let's give them reverence and awe this morning as we look and see what God's word says to us. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I laid down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the, the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him the, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped their hands. He went again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can read it, that we can look at it, that we can learn from it. But, Lord, we know that we can do all those things, uh, but without your help, we can do none of them. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon these same words that you've inspired and handed to us through the ages uh, to work on our hearts. Lord, you only can give sight to the blind. So as we look to your word this morning, I pray that you would illuminate every word there so that we might see its true meaning. That we might not look at your scriptures and look at it in the face just like the Jews looked at you in the face and missed the complete meaning. Let us see it clearly this morning, Father. We pray that you would work on our hearts, work on our minds, work on all of our being. We surrender them to you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I said my title is The Security of the Believer and the Insecurity of the Unbeliever. So let's first consider this parable from the standpoint of the security of the believer. 
Jesus made it very clear that the sheep are those who follow him, so we know that, right? But how can the sheep be sure that this whole plan of salvation will actually work? Right? You might be following him at one time, but what, what happens if you start to stray away? As, as the old hymn says, uh, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Come thou fount, we'll sing it in a minute. You feel this time, or feel this at times, where you're prone to wander. You feel that kind of pull to leave, and you feel as a sheep, right? That's what sheep feel like. They feel like, I'm always going off course. And so once we realize we're a sheep, we also realize that we might very well be led astray. But if you were here last week, you'll remember that if we are, are, if we are sheep, our identity ultimately rests in not ourselves, but in the shepherd. We are identified by who is leading us. We are called by him. We are named by him. We are led by him, and we are saved by him. He says he saves his sheep. And what all of those beautiful truths point to is actually God's sovereign hand upon us, how he leads us and guides us. He has a plan of salvation for us, and we can trust in that even when we can't trust in ourselves. In fact, the moment that we start to trust in our own understanding, when we trust in ourselves and our goodness and our own wisdom to secure or keep or our, our salvation, that's the moment that we've shifted our trust in Jesus to ourselves and our works. So where we want to be is squarely aligned with Jesus, looking at him and his grace, not our works. You see? Okay? So that's where we're going with the security of the believer. So there's two things uh, that I want to show you this morning uh, uh, that we can rest our security in. And that is uh, that Jesus gives us two things, and that is Jesus' power and authority and the Father's power and authority. Look at how Jesus beautifies this teaching of God's sovereignty by the imagery of security with the sheep and the shepherd. Okay? He gives us those two things uh, about power and authority resting in Jesus as a person and the Father as a person. And let's first look at Jesus' divine power and authority to find that security. So if you would, look with me at verse 17 and 18 to see where Jesus roots this comfort and security that we find. Verse 17 says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority, there's that word, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So what we can see here is that Jesus reinforces the safety of the sheep based upon his voluntary work. You see that? He says, no one takes it from me. It's of my own accord. I'm choosing to do this. It's an intentional what I'm doing in laying down my life. So his death, the death of Jesus, didn't just happen to him. Right? It wasn't just uh, God had this plan to send Jesus in the world. We'll see what he does. We'll just figure out what happens. No, it was intentional. From the very start, it was sovereignly planned uh, by the charge given to him by the Father. Did you catch that? Look at verse 18. He talks about laying down his life, taking it up and again. He says, this charge I've received from my father. Okay. In other words, this was planned. Jesus' death, he knew exactly what was coming and all the events surrounding it. He knew were working towards that end, towards laying down his life voluntarily of his own accord. No one takes it from him. He's doing it on his own. And yet God's hand is sovereignly upon the whole thing. Scripture says in Acts 4 that the Gentiles, Herod, Pontius Pilate, he's naming people's names in all of Israel. So that's pretty much everything. 
right? You have the two main people groups back in that day. You have Israel and everyone that's not Israel is Gentiles. And then he even goes to say people's names. Herod and Pontius Pilate, he says, they all acted to do whatever God's hand had hand and plan had predestined to take place. Wow. So specific people, specific events towards the end that Jesus would die for what? For our salvation, as we'll see in a minute. And not only was this voluntarily planned, but it was sacrificial for him to do it too. It wasn't that God came and it wasn't no big, it wasn't any big deal to him. He actually had to die. He went through this whole process and it hurt. It was painful for the shepherd to lay down his life for the sheep. The salvation of the sheep was planned to be a painful sacrifice for Jesus. He knew what he was doing. The Father and the Son both knew before the foundation of the world that this involved a lamb that was going to be slain. And that lamb that was slain was who? Not you. It was Jesus. Jesus didn't deserve this. Jesus hadn't done anything evil. Nothing bad. And yet, before the foundation of the world, God in his mind knew that there was going to be a sheep that is going to lay down his life. For the rest of the sheep, the sheep, the lamb that is slain. So the thieves and the robbers would like to have come and snatched the sheep out of the shepherd's hand to steal, kill, and destroy their life. But what does Jesus do? He makes it clear that he has the authority to lay down his life for the sheep. He's not doing it for no reason. He's doing it for the sheep. This is talking about Jesus dying for specific people on the cross. Namely, you and I. If you believe in Jesus, this is what Jesus was doing for you. And let's look closely at verse 11 and 15. I want you to catch something that we so often miss. Verse 11 says this. I am the good shepherd. It's Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay? Jump down to verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Are you catching this? Who is he laying his life down for? For the sheep. It doesn't say he lays down his life for the thieves and the robbers. In fact, the thieves and the robbers are trying to steal the sheep from the shepherd, and his death is specifically for the sheep being saved from the thieves and the robbers. Think about that. He's rescuing the, the sheep from people trying to get to them, and he says, no, not them, me instead. I'm dying for you, and I'm naming you by name. Right? It's not just general. It's very specific. So one thing that we can take from this is that while the offer of the gospel is to everyone, I will preach the gospel to everyone that walks in front of me. It's for everyone. But we know that it's only applied to those who believe, to the sheep. It's for them. And someone might say, well, I thought that Jesus died for the world, meaning every single person. And in one sense, this is true. There are cosmic implications for Jesus dying. It benefits literally everyone. But strictly speaking, if you're talking about eternal life and eternal death, you either have eternal life or you have eternal death. You can't have both in. It's one or the other. In other words, while the gospel is offered to all and all are invited, it's only applied to those who believe. Think about that. And this makes sense, doesn't it? When we start to think about atonement and who, who Jesus is dying for. If Jesus died for every single person in the world and died for their sins, then how can they die for their sins too? Think about that. Wouldn't God be unjust if that person was punished and they paid the penalty and the wages for their sins and Jesus did? In other words, what we see here is that 
Jesus' atonement is specifically for the sheep. It's for those who believe. And this is precisely how Jesus saves us. And I say precisely because I want you to think about how, how tuned in we should to be to the gospel and how it applies to us. It's not just this gospel message just kind of out in the sky and we think, oh, yeah, that's good news. No, I want you to internalize it and make it, I want you to realize in your mind it was for you. Your name was in his mind because he knows his sheep by name and they know him and he knows them. I want you to know that you are known by God. Instead of allowing our sins, our failures to be the death of us, Jesus laid down his life instead of you. Not instead of sheep in general, instead of you. And whether we accidentally or intentionally walk uh, into or towards uh, the den of wolves, if we are sheep of the good shepherd, he will, in fact he already has, laid down his life for us to be set free. Your salvation is secure in Jesus. And when we realize this, it quickly, quickly kind of stomps out any pride, doesn't it, in ourselves. You didn't do this. You did not do this. I didn't do this. If the power of our salvation was rooted in our decisions, we would always fail. As I've said before, if you could lose your salvation, you would. I know I would, right? We know that we are sheep and we are prone to wonder. We, we, that's part of our nature. We are going away, but God in his grace. But God in his grace said, no, these are my sheep. These are my sheep. Fortunately, the power to overcome and walk in the the abundant life that Jesus leads us into is rooted in his finished work, specifically applied to his sheep, to us, not in our works. That is good news, church. That is the gospel. Another way of saying this is that our good works are not what keep our salvation. We've often thought this. There's there's good-meaning people or or well-meaning people that say, well, yeah, we come in by grace, God saves us, but then then we have our works, right? We kind of stay in by our works. No, no, no. That's why the whole book of... Galatians was written. You foolish Galatians. Are you going to go back to that thinking that we are saved by our works? No, it starts by grace and ends by grace. Jesus is not just the founder of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. He's there along the whole way, and it's all about Jesus. So Jesus roots the security of the sheep in his voluntary, sacrificial work. But then in verse 28, we begin to see a, a bit of beautiful imagery about the hand of God in all this. So it's not just factual, it's also beautiful for us. He says that his sheep will never perish, so you're never going to die, and no one will snatch them out of his hand. So we get this imagery of the hand of God. And I believe when Jesus gives this parable, I really do think that he wants you to have this imagery in your mind. It's supposed to be vivid for you. Picture a shepherd tending to his sheep, holding on for dear life as the wolves are coming to devour his precious sheep. And he's holding on saying, I will not go. But he starts to realize the sheep are very far. They're very deep into this. There isn't any way that they could be saved without the shepherd having to do what? Lay down his life. And he says, I have the authority to do this. But I also have the authority to take it up again. I want you to think about that. That's pointing straight to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We might think that the, the death is the end, but the sheep lives on, and while the shepherd is gone uh, for just a time, that's not the end of our salvation, is it? There is the resurrection. The divine power and authority that allows him to lay down his life is also given to him. This charge is given him to take it up again, to triumph over death and the resurrection. Jesus has the power not just over life, but over death too. That's the power of Jesus. That's where Jesus roots his security that he has for his sheep. In other words, the salvation of the sheep is absolutely safe. 
For the believer, you are absolutely safe based upon his voluntary, sacrificial life, death, and resurrection. It is all pointing back to Jesus. That's why you feel safe. There's no other reason to feel safe in your salvation other than that. But that's just half the, half the plan. That's just Jesus' side of this. This isn't just what Jesus does. Jesus also starts talking about the Father, doesn't he? Okay, So there's already enough basis for us to say, wow, that's amazing. That is good news. But there's even more. The, the Father is brought into the discussion in verse 29 and 30. Let's see what he says there. Verse 29 says this. My Father, so he introduces his Father there, who has given them to me, talking about the sheep, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So what does the Father have to do with the security of the believer? Well, in verse 29, we read that the Father gives the sheep to the Son. This here is talking about election. Big word that many people are scared of, but the, the fact of the matter is it's the biblical word, and we need to flesh it out and understand what is going on when God gives uh, the, the sheep to the Son. It tells us that the sheep are a gift to the Son. It also tells us that God the Father has taken some kind of action to select from the world who will be the sheep given to the Son, right? Because this is the whole plan. The Father's given a charge to the Son, so what are they going to do, right? So, so, so lest you think that the Father's election is generic, he, he, you don't think that he vaguely decides to save some undefined people. No, he says in verse 3 that he, tells the, he calls these people by name. So Jesus knows who these people are, the Father knows who these people are, and he's given them to the Son. So God, in his grace, elects specific persons to be saved and gifts them to his Son who specifically atones for them. Right? Do you see this? This is how it really connects to us rather than just keeping it kind of up in the sky. It's for us. So you can see again, not only is the Son's atonement specific, but so is the Father's election. And that's because the atonement is rooted in election and because the election is the process of God choosing to give some people to the Son. He gives people to the Son as a gift. And the imagery used here is, again, that of a hand. So Jesus doesn't just say the facts and say, well, that's just how it is. No, he says that there's the Father's hand in this, too. Have you noticed this before as you've read through this? We, we talk about uh, being, not being able to be snatched out of the Father's hand. We forget that there's two hands here. Jesus talks about his hand, and then here he says, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So God's election is a hand-picked process of saving specific people from their sins, from their specific sins that only they know. That's how it connects to us. It's very, very detailed in the way that God has planned, sovereignly planned to save you. How he's working all things towards your salvation who believe in him. So he kind of buckles down to, to unite these two together. So we have the Father and the Son's security. How are these together? He says, well, I and the Father are one. In other words, we're working on this together. So not only is Jesus acting in divine power, he's not just a normal human being that is kind of drawing on this uh, the divine power. No, he is saying that he is himself God. And the, the Jews see this, don't they? This is why the Jews start to kill him. They're like, okay, you're saying you're God. Let's pick up stones. Let's kill this guy. He just said he's God. That's blasphemy. So when Jesus says this, he's uniting himself to be one being and two persons, right? This is Trinitarian theology here. We believe in one God that is three persons. And Jesus is distinguishing himself as a person from God, but also saying, I am part of this one Godhead. I and the Father are one. But we have two different hands. Two different persons are at work here. So the sheep are not just secured by the redemption price paid for them in Jesus. 
They are secure based upon infallible election of God. Right? These two things. Jesus uh, said in verse 29 that the Father who is greater than all gave the sheep to him. So not only is the grip of grace tightly held by Jesus on the cross, the grip of grace is also held by God's hand of election in choosing the sheep to give to the shepherd. So when you consider this imagery of the security of the believer, I want you to think about these two hands of God placed upon your life. God the Father, and choosing you, saying, you are going to be my son. I'm going to adopt you. You are a sheep running off to be astray. A, a, a You're running towards the, the, the wolves, and I am choosing you. Not just anyone, but you. And I'm going to secure this, not just by saying, you're mine, but I'm going to say, actually, I'm going to do this the right way. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it justly. You deserve to die, but you're not going to die, because I'm going to also send my son to pay the price for you instead. The wages of sin is death, but you're not going to pay that death. Jesus is going to pay that death for you, and that's how you become mine. I am paying for your redemption. It is paid for in full, and it is finished. So when you think of the, the, the security that the believer has, think about those two hands of God resting upon you, knowing that if you truly believe, this cannot be undone. This is finished. What God picks up, he doesn't drop. God isn't a butterfinger kind of God. He, he has a plan, and he sticks to it. What God grabs, he doesn't let go of. His arm is not too short that it can't reach you. That's what the scriptures say. He's not weak. He's greater than all. His authority and power is greater than everyone. What God holds from danger, he securely protects. You are safe in your salvation if you truly believe. Now, there's, there's practical implications here. We, we can apply this to our life. And the, the main thing that we can apply here is the fact that we draw comfort from this and our security in Jesus. When you go home, I want you to be able to know in your mind that you have been saved by God and that when you are there, that means that you are safe. And you're safe not because of your faithfulness. You are safe because of the faithfulness of God. And what does this do? When we, when we believe this, when we believe that our salvation is not dependent upon us, but be dependent upon God, this brings not only comfort, but also freedom, doesn't it? This allows you to live a free life where you can actually breathe because you're not living under the law. You're not making every single move you make trying to live up to that standard. That's not how we live as Christians. We live as Christians in the freedom of the gospel, knowing that Jesus has already paid the price for us. So go, live, be, be a free human being. Go, go do things that are even a little bit risky. Go, go heal on the Sabbath, okay? This is the kind of thing that Jesus is calling you to, that abundant life, saying, uh, yeah, I know that these people are pretty stuff, uh, stuffy and stiff and say, yeah, I think the law says this. Jesus says, no, go do it. You know that I would do that, so go do it. Go live that kind of life. That's the kind of freedom that we get when we have that uh, security and who we are. We are sheep of the shepherd. So if you're rolling around in bed at night wondering, did I miss did I miss something? Did I sin today? Did I, did I actually repent of that? Am I, am I actually saved? Has the Lord retracted his salvation from me because I'm, I'm a sheep and I've, I've gone astray? No, sheep. No, sheep, that you have a good shepherd. That he keeps a close eye on his sheep. No sheep goes astray that the, the shepherd does not see. He sees you, he's chosen you, and you've been saved by God's sovereign grace or nothing at all. Because at the end of the day, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by our faithfulness to him. He saved you by his grace. So if you're saved by grace, rest assured, you are safe. So there's security, okay? 
Trust me, the, the, the second half is not that long. The, the insecurity of the believer. The insecurity of believer. I want to look at this because there is a reality of not being safe if you aren't a believer. It should cause you a little bit of fear if you are not believing in Jesus. So the thieves and the robbers would like you to be fearful, in fact. They, they want you to be fearful of the good shepherd and follow them instead. They don't want you to look to Jesus. They want you to look to them instead because they have the pattern. They have the way. They have the the, the truth. And if you follow them, they have life. That's what they want. They say, look to the law for security. Not a person named Jesus. How could a person know everything? They're trying to shift you from the security of living a free life in Jesus saying, well, the law doesn't move. It's stiff. It's stagnant. Look at that. That's where you find real security. Right? They say, don't trust in the sovereignty of God enacted in in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's rubbish. Think of the law. Right? So that's where they're going. Now, this breeds insecurity. If you're looking there, you will not feel safe. Adam Ramsey, a man who better explained the, the gospel to me than anyone, I think sums up this better than I could ever sum it up. I was just scrolling through Facebook reels the other day, and I just happened to come across this. I don't think it had to do if anything with John 10, but he was talking about the sovereignty of God, and he said this, and it just really clicked for me with this sermon. He says this. He says, I will only be unsettled by God's sovereignty if deep down I don't think that he can be trusted with that kind of authority. Or I think I could do a better job. Let me say that again. Adam Ramsey says this, I will only be unsettled by God's sovereignty if, number one, I will, uh, deep down I don't think he can be trusted with that kind of authority. Or two, I think that I could do a better job. And in this one statement, he really cut to the heart here in John 10, didn't he? Jesus says, I have the authority, so this is what they're not trusting, I have the authority to lay down my life and take it up again regarding the death and resurrection. And the response he gets is the Jews picking up stones to kill him. Let's arrest him. Let's get rid of this guy. He's blaspheming. And really, if you look at it, they were guilty of both of these insecurities that Adam Ramsey exposed, weren't they? They did not trust that Jesus actually did have the authority to lay down his life for the sheep. They said, you don't have that kind of authority. Only God has that kind of authority. Right? And that's Jesus' whole point. Yeah, I know. God does only have that authority. I and the Father are one. You don't trust me. You don't trust that I'm truly the, the Son of God. Right? That's what he's getting at. So they're on the one hand, they don't trust it. And on the other hand, they also thought they could do a better job, didn't they? Well, we know the law. We know the law that says that uh, if you blaspheme, if you say you're God, we should stone you. So we're going to go ahead and do that now. We know that you shouldn't be leading us, obviously. You heal on the Sabbath. You're doing all these things. I know how to do this better than you do. That's their insecurities. That's what the unbelieving person goes to, is straight to insecurity. So when we find ourselves in insecure uh, uh, situations, when we find ourselves insecure in regards to our salvation, it's always... It's always because we've shifted the focus from what salvation is actually rooted in, and that's God's sovereign grace to us in his son Jesus on the cross. If you don't feel safe, it's because you're not looking in the right places. You're looking in the wrong place. And this is exactly where the Jews were in this story. They were looking at Jesus, but they weren't looking at him squarely. They were missing what he was saying. Their their sin had rendered them blind, deaf, and dumb to the truth before their eyes. He stood there saying, I'm he. And they're like, tell us plainly. And he's like, I have told you plainly. I'm right before you. And you refuse to believe it. You don't trust me. You think that you know better than I do. So they demanded, Jesus, tell us, tell us, tell us. But their demands, what we start to see is that they weren't honest inquiries, were they? They didn't really want to know. 
They already had known in their minds. They've already figured it all out. They'd made up in their minds that Jesus was not the Messiah. So what they were really doing is just trying to justify themselves. Let's just get this guy out of here. He's just making our case harder. We want to be the leaders. We've got to get rid of this guy. So it wasn't that they just needed better evidence or more reasoning, was it? They did not believe because they were not among his sheep. Did you catch that when you read through there? What Jesus says? This is a very scary statement, to me at least. Think about that. This is where that insecurity of the believer just really comes to a head. If you've been hesitant to the idea of election up to this point, I think that this sentence in verse 26 best explains it. Right? If you look at this whole situation, look at verse 26. Why, why don't they believe? Jesus says in verse 26, But you do not believe. Why? Because you are not among my sheep. You know, we often think that if we can give people enough evidence, give them enough reasoning, enough proof that Jesus is the Messiah, that they'll believe. If we just try harder. But here we see that the Jews stood face to face with the Messiah, who is telling them, even reasoning with them, about who he was, and they still did not believe. Do you think Jesus didn't give a good enough case? Do you think Jesus wasn't persuasive enough? Do you think Jesus, uh, his evangelical tactics weren't up to par? No. Jesus was giving the clearest example that he could, but they did still not believe. Why? Why did they not believe? Well, Jesus tells us we just don't like the answer. They do not believe because they are not among his sheep. Now, our modern evangelical world has reversed Jesus' statement here. They say, ah, I don't like that. They say people are not sheep because they don't believe, right? They, they reverse it. They flip it. Well, well, you're not a sheep because you don't believe. But is that what Jesus says? No, Jesus says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. It's the other way around. You have to be a sheep in order to believe. In other words, Jesus is saying these Jews don't need more persuasion. They don't need slicker sermons. They don't need fancier lights or big awesome songs with a big show or whatever. They need sovereign grace. They need grace. The same thing that you needed when you were in your disbelief, in your unbelief, in your insecure situation. What you really need is grace. That's the only thing that we can lay our hands on and say, whoa. That's where I feel safe. You know, the Jews in this story, they're no different than your, your unbelieving friend. You, you probably all have an unbelieving friend in this room. Maybe he's an agnostic. Maybe he says he's an atheist. Who knows? But the, at the end of the day, you've given the gospel narrative to them. You've, you've told them the story of the gospel, and they say no. You, you tell them plainly about Jesus who came from the Father to gather his people for salvation, and they say, yeah, I don't really buy that, though. You know, who's to say I even really need saved? I know that, that story kind of says I'm a sinner, though. And you know what? I don't like that. I don't feel like a sheep. I, I think what I really just need is better education. Maybe if I just get uh, in a better family, if I was raised up in a, a different kind of cultural, then I may have believed, but that's not really where salvation is at. I don't need saved. I, I just need to try to be a better person. I just need to, to kind of adjust. And you see, when they do this, what they've done is they've rejected the parable. The same parable that Jesus gave to the Jews today, you give today in your gospel uh, explanation. Jesus is the great shepherd. He comes to save sheep. And if you're not able to identify as a sheep, you are going to die in your sins. And they say, yeah, I don't see the parable. I don't see it. I miss it. The same thing that was happening in Jesus' day. They're refusing to identify as a sheep who needs a shepherd. And if you've learned Jesus' lesson here, you'll see that man does not need better evangelical tactics. He needs a sovereign work 
grace. The same thing that you need in order to believe. That's why we pray that God would save our unbelieving friends. We don't just try really, really, really hard and get better and better at our, our persuasion. No, we say, God, have mercy on them. I pray for them. You're the only one that can do this. That's why I pray to you. If I could save them, I would save them. But I can't. Only you can save them. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Not You are not my sheep because you do not believe. We have to get that order right. If anyone is going to become a sheep, it's going to be because God in his grace personally gifted you to the Son. The Son specifically died for your sins, and you believed in this for salvation. That's the only way. But church, I want you to think about this. What greater comfort can you have once you've come to this realization? Once you see it, you can't unsee that. Once you see grace, it's like, how can you not see this? This is the most amazing thing. Of course I want to be a shepherd. I need, I need, or of course I want to be a sheep. I need a shepherd, right? You, you lean into the fact that you're a sheep. You lean into the fact that you need a shepherd. You lean into this parable and you say, I need this more than anything. And that's what it means to understand grace. That's what it means to understand the gospel. What better pillow to lay your head down at night than rest assured that your salvation isn't secured by you? That it's secured by your good shepherd who personally secured it for you. It's finished. You can look back and say, you know what? I go to sleep tonight because this work's done. I've been saved. I am called by his grace. And what he's laid his hand upon, he is not going to let go. I am saved in the hands of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we need your grace. We say we need it here, but... We'll learn tomorrow that we need it more. Every day we learn more and more how we are prone to wander, how we are so, so in need of a shepherd. Lord, I pray for every person that is sitting in this pew that they would be able to recognize that we are all in desperate need of the sovereign work of grace. That you are the the person that turns our minds to actually seeing what is before our eyes there all along. Lord, as we look to your word this morning, we're looking to the words of Jesus. And I pray that Jesus would reveal himself to anyone who is not able to see this clearly. It says that in this text that first they did not believe. They didn't understand what the parable meant. Lord, and I pray that everyone here would leave not like that. I pray that everyone here would come to the realization that they are a sheep in need of a shepherd. And that you, you lay down your life for the sheep. You pay the price that they should have paid for us who believe in you. So, Lord, we thank you for the security that we rest in today. I pray that you would lay it heavy upon our hearts in every kind of circumstance that we find ourselves in, especially as we're wandering in our insecurities when we've shifted our mind away from what you have done definitively that's already been finished on the cross. Lord, help us to go back there to know you have already done something in the past, and we look forward to that great hope that we find in the future of your return when you rescue us, you save us finally. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to respond this morning to God's grace uh, by communing with him. One of the beautiful things about scripture is, is that God calls us to commune with him. Even though we're sinners, he cleans us up and he says, I want to eat with you. I want to share a meal with you. I want to be with you. So we're going to respond this morning by uh, partaking.